This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We may be hearing from some old friends later in this show, but we might not because we got a lot of catching up to do. We do, however, for sure, have a guest on next week's program. That will be John Avlon. He's one of the three editors of a book titled Deadline Artists, America's Greatest Newspaper Columns. We're going to have some fun with that on next week's program, although we are curious as to why Peggy Noonan got included. But no, some classic writing there. We're going to talk about it on next week's show. And before we get very far into today's show, and speaking of classic writing, we should note with sadness the passing of... Norman Corwin. He was described undoubtedly accurately by longtime friend Ray Bradbury as the best writer, producer, director in the whole history of radio. We'll have more to say about that in our third segment today. In the weeks to come, we also hope to speak with Reese Paley, whose book, The Answer, Why Only Inherently Safe Many Nuclear Power Plants Can Save Our World, is sure to get the juices flowing. We take the position on this program that nuclear power has a future. So we will, uh, like I say, have some fun with that in the weeks to come. But let us commence today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 20th of October. It was October 20th in the year 1095 during the First Crusade that Christian forces began a long and difficult siege of Antioch in Syria. By the way, if you visit Antioch today, it's called Antakya, and it's part of Turkey. One of those shady real estate deals that always seems to take place after a war. And you know one day the Syrians are going to want it back, but anyway. It's probably fair that it goes back to Syria, but if it has to take another war to make that happen, well, we just hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. On October 20th in the year 1517, the great Portuguese navigator Ferdinand Magellan arrived in Seville to offer his services to the King of Spain. Magellan was irked for some reason at the King of Portugal, and so it was that the world's first circumnavigation was done under the Spanish flag and not the Portuguese. On October 20th in 1600, the Battle of Segigahara established the Tokugawa Shogunate, a military dictatorship that would rule Japan for the next 265 years, taking it up through the American Civil War. And on October 20th, 1935, Mao Zedong's long march ended as he and 4,000 Chinese communist survivors arrived in Shenzhen province in northwest China. The communist forces had covered 6,000 miles in 368 days as they fled from Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist forces. Perhaps even more remarkable, Mao Zedong's communist party is still in charge over in the People's Republic. We do find it remarkable here at Radio Parallax that the Wall Street types and guys who wish to move our businesses overseas seem to always forget that. If you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow. Don't you know it's gonna be Our quote of the day comes from Dale Carnegie, who once said, When dealing with people, remember, you're not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion, creatures bristling with prejudice and motivated by pride and vanity. 
My quip of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who said, The man accused of leaking nude photographs of Scarlett Johansson could face up to 21 years in prison. The man pled, totally worth it. Our joke of the day slash humor of the day comes from Dave Barry, who said on his calendar, Like many of the uncultured, cheese-it-consuming public, I am not good at grasping modern art. I'm the type of person who will stand in front of a certified modern masterpiece painting that looks like a big black square and think, maybe the actual painting is on the other side. I especially have problems with modernistic sculptures. My definition of a good sculpture is a sculpture that looks at least vaguely like Michelangelo's David. You look at that and there's no doubt about what the artist's message is. It is, here's a naked man the size of an oil derrick. All right, our stats of the day, and we actually have many because Mr. McMillan dug up a pile of old Harper's magazines, which yours truly found irresistible, for their Harper's Index, which we're going to do a bit of mining in. All of these items, by the way, come from either 2002 or 2003. Let's just do a few. Number of California inmates serving 25 to life under the three strikes law for thefts worth under $400. That would be 344 individuals. Here's a good one. Minimum amount S&P 500 corporations owe in retirement benefits for which they have set aside no funds. Why, that would be $458 billion. How about year in which the ozone hole over Antarctica is expected to close as a result of reduced chlorofluorocarbon use? That would be 2050. And by the way, as an aside, the largest hole in the ozone layer has now opened over our Arctic regions here on Earth. Curiously, despite having very little oxygen in the atmosphere, researchers have now located an ozone layer in the atmosphere of Venus. This is a surprising finding and illustrates why it is we need to explore our local planets. We'll learn a lot about our own if we do so. More Harper's Index stats. Chances that a network television advertisement is paid for by one of the 100 largest U.S. corporations. That would be three and four. All right, how about chance that an American filing for bankruptcy last year did so because of medical expenses? That would be one out of two. Here's a sad one from 2002. The last year in which South Africa's average life expectancy was as low as it is today. That would have been 1955. Here's an even more disturbing one from nine years ago. Chances that an American believes the government should restrict professors from criticizing U.S. policy during war. Two out of five. Speaking of our war machine, here's a great one. Ratio of acreage owned by the U.S. military, I presume for bases around the world, to the size of the nation of North Korea. That would be one to one. The U.S. military owns more real estate than the nation of North Korea, or at least an equal amount. Wow. All right, final one, or in this case, final two. Estimated number of asteroids whose orbits cross the Earth each year, 20 million. Also, ratio of U.S. spending on tracking asteroids this year, this is December of 02, to spending on missile defense. The ratio there is 1 to 1,900. Of course, thankfully, we have an update on that last statistic, at least the first part of it, from this week. A sky survey by NASA's WISE satellite using infrared has determined that there are fewer large near-Earth asteroids which could potentially crash into Earth 
than previously thought. Amy Mainzer of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena used this census to estimate there are 19,500 near-Earth asteroids between 100 and 1,000 meters across, which is about half as many as previously thought. The researchers also reported that more than 90% of the 981 planet buster asteroids, those larger than one kilometer across, have been identified. This does meet a target set by the U.S. Congress back in 1998. We're looking into this item that showed up on the Huffington Post and elsewhere about a Mexican astronomer observing fuzzy disks in front of the sun back in 1883 being a possible breakup of a comet. We are skeptical. This might be a good time to mention some follow-up about our being skeptical about neutrinos going faster than light. We say on this program, when in doubt, don't bet against Albert Einstein. Of course, when I say that, it's true that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. None of whom, as far as we know, have ever laid down money against Albert Einstein. Because apparently, in the last week, when a lot of people have been looking at this peculiarity of neutrinos showing up 60 nanoseconds sooner than expected, of course, we did the math on this, and the amount of time it should have taken the neutrinos to arrive was 2.4 million nanoseconds. So they were arriving 60 parts out of 2.4 million fast. And the explanation seems to be that they're, um, they're relying on data that has to be bounced off of satellites and that, of course, the satellites are in a different time frame and this causes things to speed up or slow down depending on your frame of reference, per Albert Einstein, of course. But if you're curious about such things, we would refer you to the current edition of New Scientist magazine, which talks about personal time warps. And Mr. McMillan, this is probably worth a slight digression. Because of relativistic time changes, your head ages more than your feet by around 10 to the negative 11 seconds per day. If you live for 80 years, that's a difference that adds up to about 300 nanoseconds. A nanosecond, by way of reminder, is a millionth of a second. Someone did the math, noted that if you live atop Australia's tallest apartment block, you will age 950 nanoseconds older than a bungalow dweller. We presume that's over a lifetime. And if you repeat a famous experiment and carry with you an atomic clock, you will age 40 nanoseconds less if you circle the globe eastward in the direction of the Earth's rotation. If you fly west, though, you'll age 273 nanoseconds extra because you'll be going a lot slower versus the Earth. In practical terms, what does this mean? Well, absolutely nothing. If someone tries to tell you that they're late for an appointment because of relativistic time dilation, you should by no means accept that as a legitimate excuse. We mentioned some time back where we're going to look more into these Ig Nobel Awards. And uh, on this program, we often say we're going to look into things in later, and we generally do. In this case... Uh, the reporting didn't seem to get into details about one of the Ig Nobel Awards, which we now have for you. New Scientist notes that a long list of self-appointed prophets, whose predictions of the end of the world have thankfully failed to come to pass, shared the mathematics prize. As the Ig Nobel Committee said, their failure has taught the world to be careful when making mathematical assumptions and calculations. Among the prize winners is Harold Camping, who has so far prophesied the end of the world on 21st of May, 1988, 17th of September 1994, and most recently May 21st of this year. 
Mr. Camping is now waiting for the end of the world to take place tomorrow, October 21st. We join in New Scientist in suggesting that you do not hold your breath for this one. If you are, however, one of Mr. Camping's followers and do have a deed to your house, I'd like to let you know that I'm willing to give you $2,000 for that deed, which, of course, becomes meaningless tomorrow for you. All proceeds, of course, will be donated to KDVS. Well, we want to do the good and the bad and the ugly, so how about now? According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for job creation after the Florida legislature began considering a repeal of the state's ban on dwarf tossing. Which is, of course, a bar game in which patrons hurl dwarves onto mattresses. State Representative Rich Workman said, All the ban does is prevent some dwarves from getting jobs they would be happy to get. Radio Parallax takes no official position on this controversy. Frankly, we, we can see both sides of this one. We understand this, quote, sport, unquote, is still legal in Australia, so we may have to put a call in down under to see what the folks down there have to say about it. That's why we have an Australian correspondent, in our case, Dr. Peter Donahue. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for getting a break on your auto insurance with the non-revelation of the fact that car alarms actually do not deter theft. So happens I have AAA insurance, and in their glossy publication they send out to all people uh, uh, on their mailing list, they had a Q&A asking this question about car alarms deterring theft, and they had to answer, well, the quick answer is no. In 1997, a study was conducted of 73 million vehicles, and they found, quote, no overall reduction in theft losses for cars with traditional alarms, unquote. Notes the magazine, that's because blaring alarms rarely indicate theft. Duh! So frequent are false alarms that people are conditioned to ignore them. The magazine notes that another reason that these alarms prove futile is that professionals account for 80% of car thefts, and many of these pros can disable a standard alarm in less than a minute. The bottom line, leading insurance companies, including AAA, offer no discounts on premiums for vehicles with audible alarms. You know, personally, we suspect it's worse than that. When an auto alarm goes off, my first reaction is that if there's a thief out there, I hope he can get that car out of here as soon as possible and turn off that alarm. Another bad thing about car alarms, it made Daryl Issa a rich man. This is the congressman from San Diego who refers to the Obama administration as the most corrupt in history, having apparently already forgotten about the Bush-Cheney administration. But at any rate... It was an ugly week, we would have to say, last week for true love with the revelation that Columbia University researchers have found that single women consider overweight men more attractive if they are wealthy. In fact, the folks at Columbia concluded that for every 10% increase in body mass index, a single man must get a 2% raise in salary to stay in what is described as the same dating pool. All right, 
what else we got here? Um, there's the Only in America file. This one's irresistible. A woman is suing Texas police, alleging that after her arrest for a traffic violation, she was forced to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Bridget Nickerson Boyd, who is African-American, says that an officer unjustly arrested her and then handcuffed her in a police car where she had to listen to the conservative radio host, quote, make derogatory comments about black people, unquote. Now, on this program, we have railed against unjustified lawsuits in this country. But in this instance, we think that Ms. Boyd does have a point. Our Constitution does protect us as American citizens from cruel and unusual punishments. We have to think that being forced to listen to Rush Limbaugh certainly qualifies. All right, let's check in with our old pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with the answer to the riddle. Why is the GOP like a Baskin-Robbins franchise? Because they're fascinated with the flavor of the week. And the newest GOP sensation is a rare Republican scoop of non-vanilla. Herman Cain, the freshest frontrunner in a little game called Anybody But Romney. That's right, a black guy is leading Republican polls. And yeah, we know all the jokes. The term black Republican is like saying environmental oil man, vegetarian butcher, KKK Diversity Scholarship. The GOP Black Caucus Convention could be held in a phone booth. Well, they don't make phone booths anymore, and the former CEO of Godfather's Pizza has indeed overtaken Rick Perry as major challenger to that human dial tone, Mitt Romney. Kane says he wants to do for America what he did for pizza. The hell does that mean? Make the country crusty and covered in cheese? Maybe he'll fashion a foreign policy by recycling his old motto, Pakistan will sleep with the fishes. Kane is a straight-talking businessman who has boiled his economic policy down to 999, three syllables, targeted straight to the attention span of the average American voter. 9% income tax, 9% corporate tax, and 9% national sales tax. But he's got to watch out because the national sales tax not only could incur the wrath of the Tea Party, but it opens him up to charges of being European. He goes around bragging he's the only candidate who's never held elective office, inferring that the presidency should be an entry-level position. But he conveniently forgets to mention he ran for president back in 2000 and for a U.S. Senate seat in Georgia in 2004 and lost both races. So it's not like he hasn't tried to be a politician before. Apparently, he's just not very good at it. It'd be fun to see him get the nomination, and then racists go to the polls in 2012 would have to choose between two black guys. Their little heads would pop right off. <laughs> For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. We would remind you that America's foremost political comic, Will Durst, and political activist Michael Parenteval will be appearing in Chico next Thursday, October 27th, as a benefit for our sister station, KZFR. And you know, maybe KDVS and KZFR don't consider themselves sister stations, but doggone it, it's time they did. We do hope that some Davisites will make the trek north. We think it'll be worth your while. Let's take a short break. We'll be back with more fun and games and serious stuff in segment two. 
I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.